In recent years, there has been an upsurge of interest in the subject of trans prophecy within the neo-pagan movement. It is probably important to first define what we mean by trans prophecy, as undoubtedly there will be some reading this book who are unfamiliar with its modern practice. We use the term trans prophecy to define a collection of methods found in many different traditions, ancient and contemporary. They embrace trans to connect to the divine in its different forms, the purpose of which is to communicate with divinity and ask for guidance. Janet Farah and Gavin Bone, Lifting the Veil, A Witch's Guide to Trans Prophecy, Drawing Down the Moon, An Ecstatic Ritual. Um, this is a fantastic book. First of all, I, I'm very, very pleased um, with, the, with the cover of this because the cover is a Pitanese, and for me, a Pitanese is, is just something that I have um, a very uh, a love for. Um, and it's a beautiful, beautiful cover. Was was this? Uh, 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 did you have a choice on this, or was the, uh, was this? I, a... di I didn't give the publisher a choice. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. I wanted Collier's Priestess of Delphi on there. Yes, for obvious yes. reasons. Absolutely, yes, yes, yes. And uh, this is a new. Uh, uh, this is a new publisher, isn't it? Acorn, Acorn Guilds. Yes. Um, that you've uh, have you been working with Acorn, or is this the first we, publication uh, with Acorn? Well, we had Progressive Witchcraft. What we did is we changed publishers on that, and it changed with a new title to Inner Mysteries, yes. and we published that with Acorn. Okay. Um, Kel, who is owns the company, he's a practicing occultist, so it's very useful having somebody who actually knows the material. Absolutely, yes. So, it always helps. <laughs> yeah, it does. And when we were working with him, he would sort of go, well, have you considered this? Have you considered that? So there's little bits along the way uh, in there that he's pointing out. He actually was from the fairy, fairy tradition. Oh, I see, yes. Originally. Yeah. Very, very beautiful. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful um, cover. I always like to to mention these things because it's rarely, seldom, seldomly people actually do this. Do the they don't, you know, they really don't. And then in the back, there is a beautiful photograph of both of you. Um, and you know the the whole thing inside. There is a, a couple of pictures. Do we know who took these pictures? Uh, do you want to mention okay. somebody? <laughs> Which which pictures? Um, there's a couple of them, especially for instance the other one, the ones that um, I, I'm very interested in the path uh, to the bridge and gates, which is an ah. illustration. And then there is a couple of other pictures in right, here. The bridge and gates was uh, done by a friend of ours, Thomas Lindemann. Oh, very good. Uh, who lives in Cornwall, New York. Very good. And he's an excellent illustrator. He actually does a lot of work on drums. As well as designing tattoos as well. And then there's our, our gorgeous young man who was in trance. And that was taken in Italy. Um, and bless his heart, I mean, he was really so possessed. Um, the poor man, the next day, was horrified because he came, during his possession, um, he came out of it and he was really Dionysus. And he was chasing the ladies and kissing them all over. And the next morning when he woke up, he went, Please don't tell my boyfriend, he's going to kill me. 
But you see, Janet, this is very interesting because, you know, when you are, I mean, possessed and that's, you know, or when you have uh, an 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 experience like that, and that happened with me as well, it really doesn't matter. No, of course it doesn't. The gods don't care what sex you are. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Or or sexual preference. Exactly. Um, Yeah, yeah. So there is another one, Drawing Down the Moon. The one, you know, when it's a beautiful... I mean, of course, this is a uh, reproduction of the original, but it's it's beautifully done as well. Again, that's by Thomas as well. Um, There is the traditional image, and it was used in Margot Adler's book, Drawing Down the Moon. And originally, I wanted to go with that because it's actually off the side of an old, the ancient Greek vase. And I thought, and I gave it to Thomas and he said, can you do something with this? We need a better quality. And he contemporized it. I didn't ask him to do it and it came back and I went, wow, that's better than what I asked for. So, (laughs) uh, there's other illustrations there by Mark Potts. He did the chakra the deity aligning with chakra and the energy exercises. Oh, you know, and, and give credit to all of these people because it is very important they actually contributed to it as well. Um, and it's absolutely gorgeous. Okay, so um, let's start in the beginning. What was the, the, the impetus for this particular book to be written? What, what, what was the what happened that you you said you w- we got to do a book on this okay well in a sense this is going to answer some of your other questions as well when i came into the craft in 1970 for those who don't know this um i belong to alexander's coven now as many of you probably know alexander's called himself the king of the witches um i was just approaching 20. i was a natural born psychic medium although i didn't talk about it much And I was very interested in the concept of witchcraft as a religious philosophy. Uh, Because you've got to understand, I not only grew up a Christian, but I was also a Sunday school teacher. So here was a new philosophy and a new concept of religion which made so much sense. And this concept of an idea of a goddess. Well, when it came to drawing down the moon, this communication between the goddess and mankind the only thing we had was Doreen Valiente's beautiful charge, which, by the way, was always spoken by Alex, not by Maxine, his wife. And as a result of that, we were never taught anything about drawing down the moon. It was just something that happened. So when, as of course, a priestess, I was thrown into the situation of having to draw down, have the moon drawn down on me, um, I went through the whole process of saying Doreen Valiente's charge. And this went on for, I suppose, maybe about six months to a year. But I began to notice that something odd was happening. I loved the words of Doreen's charge, and at that time I hadn't met her personally. And I discovered a lot after I had met her, by the way, including the fact she hated that charge. I'll explain why later. Um, (laughs) Yes, she really did. Um, Because she got fed up with people reading it, basically, and that's not what it was meant for. Um, It was... In fact, I'll tell you now, it was meant for a situation where, for example, the gods were not communicating. We'll explain that later. But what I found was happening to me 
Well, suddenly I was hearing and feeling and experiencing something completely different. I had that feeling of suddenly moving into the back of my head and I'd open my mouth to say Doreen's charge and something completely different came out. What's more, it wasn't just garbage, it was prophetic. And that got quite annoying because I found myself prophesying on things I didn't understand, didn't really know about. Um, I wasn't speaking in tongues, and I wasn't speaking in any language at that stage except for English. But it, to me, I mean, I, I felt I was stepping outside what I was supposed to be doing as a witch priestess, a high priestess. Um, I thought, no, 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 this, this mustn't be happening. Uh, am I making this up? Is this a, an illusion, a delusion on my part? What the hell's going on? And of course, it wasn't until much later I realised I couldn't resist this any longer. I'd have to stop fighting it. She, in her many forms and many names and many goddesses, so as to speak, had things they wanted to say. And what's more, they were banging on the front door and nobody was bloody well letting them in. <laughs> Gavin. <laughs> so, uh, my interest in, my personal interest was going back in Saith and Sedra, which is Norse trance practices and Norse shamanic practices. Mm -hmm. So I came from that direction. And when myself and Janet met, we found a connection through that. When the three of us, including Stuart, were touring around the States in the 90s, people were coming up to Janet, priestesses, and saying, well, I'm not sure if I'm doing drawing down the moon right. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to experience. And it isn't the same as you're describing in the books. I'm not having the same experience as you. So as we're going around, people are talking to us. And they're from different backgrounds of Wicca and witchcraft. So it's very clear to us there's this massive gap, obviously, in training and expectations of what is supposed to happen. So this really, when we reformed a coven here in Ireland, one of the things we decided to do is that we would start. Um, teaching drawing down the moon and we wanted to create a system uh, of training which would allow that to work and in 2002 when we went to Australia for the first time and New Zealand we were asked if we would put together a weekend of intensive workshops so part of that was that specifically around drawing down the moon and that's really how it started for us as such uh, so the book came after the work simple as that uh, so it grew and it developed and what went from initially being a system of teaching drawing down the moon developed into trance prophecy and trance possession work and then you can say we're sort of getting guided on this uh, because the gods have their own idea of what we were going to do it sort of moved into ecstatic ritual all quite naturally and that's what really happened for us so we felt really this was something that needed to be shared particularly as we came into contact with other people who were going along the same lines as us at the time we found the most interesting thing an example when I spoke about that lovely young Italian man going into trance at that time we were in a most beautiful part of Italy and it was the time of the harvest and the grapevines were absolutely dripping and in the distance you could see the combine harvesters bringing in the corn from the fields 
And we researched the whole ritual completely, including the chant Dithram Dithramus. And that was sung by the Meniads, the Dithram Dithramus call, while the young man was upstairs dressed in artificial leopard skin, because I wouldn't use the real McCoy, obviously. And we brought him down while they were chanting this song, and we tied him to a wooden post, draped with a grapevine which was growing over his head. We covered him with grapes and with the grapevines themselves, with the leaves. And the chanting got louder and the drumming accompanied it. And he got deeper and deeper into trance. And he did what Dionysus was supposed to do. He roared like a lion, which is associated with the Dionysian rituals. It was absolutely perfect. The right time of year, the right place. He became completely possessed. Um, he looked at the end as if he was covered in blood because they had amphora of red wine which they were pouring over him. They were crushing the grapes into his body while he was yelling like a lion. And finally, when he broke free, that's when he was going around kissing all the women, you know, literally tongue down the throat, etc. <laughs> and the, the amphora of wine were flowing absolutely all over the place. All the wo uh, women's white robes, um, you know, the Grecian robes, or rather Italian robes, they were covered in grapevine, um, grapevines and, and wine. So they looked as if they were covered in blood. And as the sun went down and the moon rose, and the ritual finally wound down and came to an end, it wasn't until the next day everybody turned around and said, my God, what was that? That was incredible, that was amazing. And like I said, the poor man had no memory of what he'd done. All of us were fine. He was the only one with a hangover. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, one of the things that I want to tell you, Janet, now that we have this opportunity, is that I always felt, and this is my own experience of drawing down the moon, I always felt, and I always told my priestesses, I said, you know, when I was training, I said, you know, don't say the charge just because you have to say it. There is, it seems, a pressure on the priestess to say the charge and to know it by heart, etc., etc. But the fact that she's pressured to say something that is not allowing herself to actually experience, and if something is to be said, then let it be said, I always felt that that was, you know, something that was there that shouldn't be, you know, they shouldn't be speaking if they don't, you know what I mean? So it really, for me, it would be almost like a violation if you are expecting the priestess to say something. She might not say anything, or she might say something. That was That's my experience. Yeah, that <laughs> was one of the most interesting things when we were doing the research on the book. Uh, we'd been taught that the charge was only said when the goddess didn't come through. It was really exactly. to fill in that mm -hmm. really embarrassing gap when nothing happens. Mm -hmm. Okay? Mm -hmm. And it that's there really because of the way the drawing down the moon ritual is constructed and that's why as Janet said Doreen Valiente got sick of it she was fed <laughs> up with hearing it she wasn't supposed to be hearing it she was it. fed up with people standing there going whenever ye have need of anything once in the month blah de blah reading it and she's right, going no 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 here's the fascinating thing as we were doing the book because one of the things we did is we were asking people uh, over the internet what are your experiences while drawing down the moon and how do you use the charge? The charge was never intended to be an invocation. No, For obvious wasn't. reasons, as we just mentioned. But now, you have people actually using it as an invocation instead to bring deity through. Of course, that's... 
and this is what they had been taught. Now the most interesting thing is that it's working for them. It's not traditional, but it doesn't matter because it's become Pavlovian, if you understand that term. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's become yes. um, a reflex. That's right. Yeah. A learned reflex yeah. that they do the charge, deity comes through. A ritual in the true sense. And this is what has happened for some people. If you talk to the older Gardnerians, if you talk to Doreen, if you talk to Ray Buckland, uh, any of the older ones will all say, oh no, you only ever set the charge if the goddess didn't come through. And that's the most interesting thing, is the way things evolve and change. And how things, and even though something isn't intended to be used in a particular way, it works in a different way anyway for some people. That's actually an interesting thing I want to say, Carrigan. That having told you what it was like when I first came into the craft, and what it was like when Stuart and I, back in 91, went to the States, I am so amazed and delighted the gods are communicating. Because now, time and time again, I'm hearing people who haven't read the book, people who don't even know us, who are getting genuine experiences. Women saying, and the goddess came and she said this, this and this, and guess what happened, this, this and this. And they, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're talking fact. And I'm thinking, yes, the gods have finally been able to communicate because there's been this dramatic change in human uh, psychic consciousness. It's wonderful. We all want true experiences, and and this I think it's a, an essential book um, to guide um, people on on that particular true experience. I think, you know, true meaning you know real experience, genuine. Believe it or not, there are some people out there who've actually spoken to us, and people I would have thought knew better, who were saying, "You can't do this. That's dangerous." You'd be surprised, <laughs> um, and it's been people who've been around for a while as well and it's that inbuilt fear particularly in the older generation that if yes. you do this you might get possessed by a demon i'm not <laughs> going to use the word on your show but i could use it what a load of rubbish <laughs> um, you can janet you can and it's <laughs> it's they go back to that judeo-christian upbringing uh, of being taught if you open yourself up something nasty will get in and of course it's the ego as well the ego doesn't like us to give up control which is why working with ego and shadow is so important before you do this work now you developed a lot of things uh, uh, for this to work and this is the book this is the book everyone to to read and to actually uh, practice you have uh, four keys it's a method right yes. that you actually identify the the different areas where things have to actually be worked on yeah uh, the first being understanding spiritual cosmology which i think that it's absolutely essential that people just do not do they don't do too much work well, i think <laughs> we use an analogy right. i've got to say this we- right now i've got to interrupt for a minute kerrigan if it's too much work, they shouldn't bloody well be a witch in the first place. Yeah, that's true. That's right. <laughs> um, I've got to explain the four keys developed from once we started doing intensive trans prophecy and possession workshops from 2004. And it developed. And we discovered that once you had those four keys, these four things you needed to know, they applied to so much. Uh, drawing down the moon, a traditional oracular work in the Delphic sense, in the Greek sense. 
in Saith and Seder in Norse tradition, in Voodon and Santeria where there is trance going on, anywhere where there is trance prophecy possession work connected in with divinity, we found these apply. So we developed basically looking at energy as one of the keys and that meant because all said and done everything is energy and that meant working with the body's own energetic system and also realizing deities had an energetic system as well and that came about from experiences from discussing with people from what happened with Janet as well and one of the things people described all the time was they get a feeling behind their head of, over hovering over the shoulders before a divinity came in so I'm an energy worker I have been for a long long time so for me it's I went about trying to explain why is this happening so that's why the energy is important because it makes you understand how things are happening on an energetic level and of course sourcing and grounding which are so important as well in this work then there was cos mythic cosmology something terribly lacking in Wicca not in Druidism not in Norse tradition in Asatru um, so it was creating a mythic cosmology which fitted in cross-culturally also fitted in with psychology as well that's obeying the law of reflection as above so below and that gave you a map of consciousness and a map of how to reach the divine specifically using underworld techniques and that's where the underworld descent technique came from yeah because this is actually shadow work this is about descending into the underworld because if you look at the deities of trance the majority of them are actually underworld divinities <coughs> of some form then it was looking at the nature of divinity itself you see we've got a terrible problem particularly you see in Wicca not so much in other forms of paganism is this terrible hang up with the G.O.D. word in that gods are omnipotent goddesses the goddess is omnipotent and that's a really big problem when it comes to accessing divinities in fact when we're doing trance possession and prophecy work the term we use is deity spirits now because they're spirit forms the other thing is psychology got in the way as well particularly Jungian and it's not so much the psychology getting in the way as people not understanding what Jung was talking about uh, people for example people thinking that deities are archetypes and this neatly boxes them into this nice scientific box and avoids the fact that they're spirits and of course you've got to remember Jung himself said that people are archetypes as well he took people's personalities and he categorized them as archetypes it doesn't mean we're less real and it certainly doesn't mean deities as numinous archetypes aren't less real as spirits themselves so it's understanding deity understanding how deities evolve and develop as personalities and of course finally it was understanding trance the final key and that meant again looking at physiology of what was going on in the brain what was going on in the mind 
and the techniques involved as well. It's interesting, if you look at all the trance traditions that are out there, if you look for example at the Voodoo, they don't use just one trance technique, they use a combination and you see that even in ancient Greece. There's not just one technique used, there's three or four. And then when you look at Wiccan drawing down the moon, all that's going on is ritual. And that was the point we made. It's not enough in drawing down the moon just to do ritual. There's got to be other components at play to allow trance mm -hmm. to take place. Mm -hmm. Do you remember ever asking this? Uh, I'm sure that at the time you had this concern as well. Um, and had did you ever had a I'm sure you did. With Doreen Valiente, she was there in the creation of this. Was she ever told how to? Was was she also worried that things were not done properly, that they should be done in a different way? Okay, let me talk about Doreen first of all. Um, I'm surprised that an awful lot of people in this day and age don't actually know who Doreen Valiente was. She was very much the mother of modern witchcraft. And after I left Alex and Maxine's coven, Stuart and I together, when we wrote uh, our first book, Eight Sabbaths for Witches, which later became the Witch's Bible, as you know, um, it was through the same publisher that Doreen was working with. So as a result, we got to know Doreen. And then she became one of my dearest and closest friends. And I learned more from her in the space of six months than I ever learnt with the Sanders Coven. Because she was very open. Now you've got to remember I was still a very young woman and she was a very much older woman. And I was delighted that this older stateswoman of the craft would talk to me about anything from the life of Gerald to how they work things out, to the rituals, etc treating me as an equal and not inferior to her. And I think that's why I loved her so much and why we bonded so well and became very, very close friends. And as she said herself, back during the early days of Gardner, a lot of these priestesses were natural mediums. And so when Doreen wrote that charge, for example, it was a beautiful piece that could be used if the goddess didn't come through, or it could have been incorporated into a ritual as a part of the whole process of the drawing down the moon and the goddess speaking. Gavin wants to say yeah. something. So, um, I think this gives you an idea of how much training Doreen got. Because uh, I said we were visiting her and I said about how we were training our students and what work they were being said and the essays and she went, essays? You know, in my day they shoved an athame in your hand and threw you in the circle and you get on with it. And that was actually what happened. Yeah. And in respect to drawing down the moon, um, what Jill Gardner was doing was trying to reconstruct it. And he was drawing on Alistair Crowley. And actually the first contemporary use of drawing down the moon took place in London in Caxton Hall. And it was actually done by Alistair Crowley with... Was it Leela Waddell? With Leela Waddell. <coughs> And he even invited the media. The press turned up and said it was a beautiful ritual. It was the rites of Eleusis. And of course, that was all he was drawing from his material in the equinoxes. And this is what the material, this is the material Gardner drew from. So his first, Gardner's first initiate was Barbara Vickers. And I had long conversations with Philip Hesselton. I don't know if you're familiar with him. 
yes, Wiccan historian, he was here visiting. And we were working on the book at the time, and I asked him, all right, I've come across Barbara Vickers. Do you think Gerald Gardner was going round to the different spiritualist temples and looking for mediums? And Philip said, absolutely, I have no doubt in my mind that's what he was doing. And I think that's where he got Barbara from. Uh, so Philip was very nice, he put me in contact with the family to get the photo. So, when Gerald Gardner is putting together the first charge and the first invocations for drawing down the moon, he's drawing from Crowley, he's drawing from ritual magic, and he's using the first charge, is called the Levitavestalis, the lifting of the veil. Uh, the title of the book has several connotations for that reason, that's why we chose that title, lifting the veil. So, he didn't need to train his original priestesses in mediumship, he was getting the spiritualist temples to do it for him. <laughs> yeah. So, of course, what happens is over time, the mediums, and I'm pretty sure Doreen had been going to spiritualist temple as well, they weren't passing that knowledge on. And that was one of the problems. There were strong overlaps back in the 50s and 60s between theosophy, uh, spiritualism and Wicca. Uh, there are all, all these cross-fertilizations. In the same way nowadays, there's these cross-fertilizations between Wicca and things like Reiki, which occurs. Right. right. So, so Gardner is putting this all together over time. And you've got to remember that that's what Gardner was doing. And of course, the thing about, we call it drawing down the moon, that Wiccan ritual, we call it drawing down the moon, but it probably bears very little resemblance to what the ancient Greeks did. Actually, I'll tell you something, Kerrigan. If mm -hmm. you look deep enough into the term drawing down the moon, in ancient Stragonis, or the Steleria, the, the witches, you know, in Italy, it's actually a term of insult. I mean, mad ladies draw down the moon. They're sluts, they're whores, you know, real women don't I mean, do this that. Is, it's, real uh, so real it's ladies in, don't. It's become a bit of a term of an insult in Italy yeah. now, as members of the craft. Um, but if you look at it, that term going back into ancient Greece, it can get very confusing because, for example, I think it was Heraclitus said that um, in the Phaeon Papyri, okay, it says, if I command the moon, it will come down. And if I wish to withhold the day, night will linger over my head. And again, if I wish to embark upon the sea, I need no ship. And if I wish to fly through the air, I am free from my own weight. It's talking about trance here it's right. talking about trance and it's talking about astral travel that's right so there that's you have this trance connection mm -hmm. but actually drawing down the moon in the later greek period became almost a bit of a farce because every time they they met in council uh people met in council some politician would stand up and suddenly go <gasps> i have the morning moon drawn down upon me and zeus is telling me that we must do this so it started in later Greece to become a bit of a farce as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what you have to do is realize the origins of the Wiccan drawing down the moon have really more origin in ceremonial high magic and the use of mediums, which you can trace right back. And what Crowley does, his Scarlet Women, are not really a reference to the Whore of Babylon. 
because the Hall of Babylon, of course, is a veiled reference itself to, of course, the oracles, the sibyls, the scarlet women who traditionally wore red. Right. In ceremonial high magic, the medium served the high priest. The medium served the ritual magician. So Crowley is in that halfway stage and very slowly it moves over with Gardner to now it's going back to where the priest now serves the oracle, the high priestess, and that's the change that you see. Now, one of the things that I found that it was very interesting about this, I have a, I don't know, I, I, I feel that there is a prominence of, uh, or a presence of Ecate or Ecate, um, <laughs> nowadays, <laughs> in the modern world. Oh, you got no oh, idea, Kevin. Oh, I, that, that's why I'm bringing no it up. <laughs> okay. Right. Why? I'll explain. The before bitch, I tell by the what, way. Before the I bitch. tell you some of our experiences. We never intended to work with her. She didn't really give us a choice. You have to understand these are personalities. They are deities. Uh, they're spirits, and they have their own mind of what should be going on. The best way to describe the deities is they're just standing up a bit higher than us, so they get a better view of the world than we have. And it's not really even so much trance prophecy now. Real trance prophecy is divine direction. And this is what's been happening. The reason Hecate has got very powerful is, would you believe, Robert Graves? And it's his use of the maid mother crone. And of course, Robert Graves is not is talking about, of course, Diva Triformis, Diana Triformis, Hecate, Selene, and of course Persephone Proserpina, who is the only true maid mother crone goddess. And that's very important. So Wicca as it's evolving, and I will use that term evolving, in the 60s, it's now pulling from graves, because Wicca pulls from a lot of literature sources, and starts to bring in this concept of Maid Mother and Crone. You don't find Maid Mother Crone goddesses even in Ireland, or Greece, or Rome, and for that matter, anywhere else. Even the goddess Breed. She even the goddess three Breed is sisters. three sisters of the same name. Uh, the Morrigan, three sisters of the same name. Um, you the get three fates. mothers, three the mothers, three crones, but you don't get made mother crone. So, as people are now invoking made mother crone, what they're doing is they're pulling on that divinity. They're pulling on Diva Triformis, Hecate as such, who has become prominent amongst those divinities. And that is what has been happening. <laughs> and of course, the other thing that happens is we use a term which is um, what we are developing really is a modern pantheon so Hecate is taking on a specific role within it when you're working in trance prophecy and possession you find the same deities come through again and again it's basically there's only a finite um, amount of energy of worship available to them and always if you look historically deities have always merged so Hecate has become particularly strong our realisation of this was when we started doing the public trance prophecy and trance possession rituals, and she kept coming through. 
and on one occasion I'm acting as the trance guide and I decide that's it, I'm just going to challenge her. And she had fully possessed this priestess in the chair and I said, my lady, I have a question, what are you up to? And she just laughs and says, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> and that's it. And everybody's looking at me going, oh, how could it be so rude to Hecate like that? Um, well, that is in Bristol, Connecticut. Uh, we travel across to California, a little place north of Sacramento called Loomis, and we're doing the same workshop. And Hecate at this stage is, no, she's not crossed the bridge as such, she's not in the priestess. She is a form of mediumship, the priestess is communicating with her. And I just say, can you ask Hecate the same question? At which point the priestess says, oh. And I said, what's she say? Well, she's laughing and says, she's still not telling you. <laughs> we move on to somewhere else. Hecate comes through somebody, looks at me and just starts laughing. And says, I'm still not telling you. That is the sort of experiences you get. We went to Australia. She comes through. I thought, oh, here we go again. <laughs> the priestess <laughs> takes one look at Gavin. She says, I have a message from Hecate. Gavin, I'm still not telling you and cracks up with laughter. <laughs> this is... <laughs> one of my favourites is you get the Voodoo and the Eurishas and the Lowers come through sometimes. That's not necessarily wonderful because, first of all, the people aren't uh, initiated to them. Not that it really matters. Right. Uh, and the other thing is, is they're greedy, <laughs> to put it one way. They have particular <laughs> expectations of how they're going to be treated. So they're quite powerful. The other ones that are powerful that come through sometimes are the Vedic, the Hindu deities. Uh, and we've had two occasions with encounters with Lakshmi. And Very interesting. And now Lakshmi is transcendent and we were in Italy and this young lady was entranced out and she was a full possession. She was fully ridden. And what happened was that she came through and the young lady balanced on her hip because she's not supposed to touch the floor. And this amazing Hindi accent comes in, comes out of this young lady's mouth. Remember, she's Italian. And she's speaking course, in yes. English with a Hindi accent. Think about that. And she's Italian. <laughs> and she's going, you know, I'm so pleased to talk to you all. I'm so pleased. You see, I don't get a chance to talk to people. All they want all the time is money, 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 money. They don't understand <laughs> what wealth is. And she has a bitching session for about 15 minutes. Oh, about the Hindu community. <laughs> because all they want of is course. money. <laughs> then she looks at me. She says, you come here. And I walk over, she grabs my cheeks and goes, you know, you've got too much weight on you, you know, you've got to lose some. <laughs> this, the assumption deities are going to be serious. When, yes, mm. they can be. Odin's always grim. <laughs> I rarely see him laugh. But they come through and they can be very, very funny. Freya speaks in old German. Yes. I'm a priestess of Freya and when she starts coming through me she always starts with old German and we had to get it translated because I do not speak modern German let alone old <laughs> German um, but she always starts with that opening phrase to let us know it's her and only on one occasion did she ever panic 
and that was when some idiots decided they were going to have arc lights to film us and she started screaming absolutely, absolutely screaming the place down for the giants oh, get rid of the giants look at the eyes the eyes uh, so oh my goodness you get um we've had quite we've had quite a few instances where we've had actually the priest or priestess possessed has actually spoken in a different language that they don't speak yeah Mm. One most frightening, well, I would say frightening, but interesting ones I had once, and I hope I never have it again, was Golveg came through me. Now, if you know anything about oh. the Norse, yeah. describe Golveg. Well, Golveg, uh, in the beginning of the Norse myths, Golveg is thrown onto the fire by the Aesir gods and is burnt. She keeps coming back, and she keeps talking to them about gold, which is actually an analogy for wisdom. And of course, being a warrior culture, the Asatru aren't interested in wisdom. So finally, they throw her on the fire and they cause the war between the gods, the Vanir and the Asir. So Janet brings Golveg through, and there is this smell of burning flesh. It filled it's the entire palpable. room. People couldn't smell it. People were no, gagging. It was horrible. Uh, and it's and coming oh my out of my body. Smell? Oh dear. So we've had that, and that's uh, what happens. It's mediums. The old soul mediums were very familiar with this. It was one of the effects of ectoplasm. People would get these smells. Mm -hmm. And in that case, mm -hmm. that happened. Um, so we've had some interesting experiences with it. Um, you know, a lot of people listening to this podcast are probably going to decide we're completely off our rockers. But um, Well, if we're off our rockers, Carrigan yeah. is as well. So, <laughs> oh, absolutely. That's one of the things when you do this, one of the things we teach our students when we're teaching this stuff is basically the law of challenge. You have to challenge what it is that's coming through and go, okay, is this a real experience or not? Um, real experiences stand for themselves. They always stand for themselves. But regardless, unless you want to go through that, down to that path of what's called Maya, which is illusion and delusion, it's always essential to challenge. But the amount of times you've had divinities come through and have told us things, okay, this is what's going on. And they're not talking about small things nowadays uh, you'll have noticed in the book when we brought we are several priestesses and priests we know to contribute by bringing divinities yes. through yes they are talking about major things they're talking about the environment they're talking about things we need to know about and again it's not just prophecy it's divine direction that's right yeah. and when prophecy comes through um, I'd like to tell you a story it's a very interesting one this um, we were in Wisconsin at a place called Eagle Cave and there was about 70 people in a circle and we did a drawing down the moon there and we did it the traditional way. We used um, the traditional, I should explain something, uh, I was involved very briefly with some of Civil League's initiates on the edge of the New Forest at a place called Bitten, run on Margaret Hill. Mm -hmm. And the last time I ever saw them they gave me a silver bowl. And they said, one day you'll know what it's for. Well, later on I found out what it was for. And of course, in traditional drawing down the moon, what you would do is catch the light of the moon in the bowl, reflect mm -hmm. it into the light of the priestess and stroke. You're actually using hypnosis. You're putting her in trance. You're using mesmerism. Right, right. So and on this occasion, that's, that's what we did. It was the first time we tried it. And we decided we were particularly going to call on Diana. It was a night of a lovely full moon. Well, Diana came through, she went round to every single one of those people, 70 people in a circle, and she spoke to every single one of them in rhyme. 
but there's one there were two situations that arose that night actually three the first one was fun she went apparently to a young couple of guys and she waved her finger at them but in rhyme basically said you naughty naughty boys what were you doing with the honeypot last night <laughs> they'd found each other and fallen in love and they were having fun that's all I'm going to say on that <laughs> <laughs> but there was a handsome young guy there beautiful Adonis a real Adonis he was gay um, he wasn't one of these um, blonde Adonises that says look at me aren't I wonderful he was just naturally lovely and she spoke to him and she gave him a warning and it's, she told him run from that terrible dark place you must not go into that dark place terrible danger awaits you she was begging him please don't go there please don't go there <coughs> it meant nothing to him he actually come from Chicago and he flew home a couple of days later and the plane arrived a bit late he was expecting to get off the plane and go straight to his job because he worked in a little takeaway restaurant well he arrived there a couple of hours late and his boss went bananas and fired him on the spot for being late no excuses and basically threw him out the back door of the restaurant into the back alley which was dark he sent two thugs after him they pinned him up against a wall took a knife and sliced his lovely face to pieces oh dear. Her, her perfect warning the woman who yes. organized the event she was a single mother she ran a cat sanctuary nursing sick pussy cats she was a veterinary nurse she had two lovely daughters but had no money to send them to university and Diana told the eldest girl to look under her bed when she got home because in the box under her bed was the her granny had left her something in a beautiful velvet box and that was the key to her future when she got home because her granny had died just before the event she pulled out the box from under the bed <coughs> and along with other granny's other stuff was a velvet box she opened it up and inside was an emerald and diamond necklace she sold it and went to university oh, so oh, wonderful janet's body is moving around the circle with diana in it and there's um so at this point i'm getting a bit panicky <laughs> because like 70 people so one of the roles you have that we've realized is there's two specific roles uh there's the csrs or the priestess in the case of drawing down the moon and there's the priest trance guide whose first job is to look after the safety exactly of the person who's being put into trance uh so janet is moving around the circle with Diana in her and I grab this other guy to get behind me because I know what's going to happen so I'm going all the time every so often I go to Diana I'm saying I'm you're my lady I'm worried about the welfare of the priestess and she says no 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 she's fine just got to carry on <laughs> so it's, I'm going round and round so I've got this other guy with me and I say right get ready because when Diana decides to leave we're going to have to catch Jam because that's what happened. She yes, yes. Literally, she was just yeah. Uh, so Diana left, and Janet just crumpled. So we grabbed her before she hit the floor. Yes. Because uh, you're not supposed to do that. Seventy people. <laughs> of and course. Of course this yes. is we yeah. were. I'll be absolutely blunt. You don't learn anything unless you experiment. 
and of that's course, what we yes. were doing then back in the 90s we were seeing what worked what didn't and we weren't right. expecting right. that technique to be as successful as it was it's it's uh, it's it's incredible i mean this book uh, really is is a book it can be read by anyone, but I think that um, practitioners uh, of of traditional uh, uh, Wicca or how I don't know how you you, <laughs> you well, define it um, can actually uh, really profit from it. I mean, it really is an an incredible manual. It's a manual. It's a manual. That was the idea. Um, yeah. Well. Yeah. Like I said. Yes, it will apply to Wicca, but it will, will apply just as equally to any other any yeah. tradition. That was the point, yes. because the same principles yes. apply. And That's right. Yes. Yeah. We one of the things we realised is it was no good looking back into necessarily ancient sources, and we did do a lot of research into the ancient Greeks. I went through Iamblichus, Aristophanes, Heraclitus, Herodotus, Hor Horus, Homer, various papyri, uh, Greek, Greco-Egyptian, trawling through for information. Got a lot of help from different people. Uh, discovered lots of interesting things, particularly the Greeks, had specific terms for trance. Not just that it wasn't a case, oh, this person's in trance. They, they had particular words, katoche, barathiki, enthusiasmo. These different words for different states of trance. And we seem to have lost that. Uh, but more importantly, it was realising, well, you've got to look at contemporary traditions. So, of course, we were going along to Voodon ceremonies uh, and Centuria Bembe's to see what was happening there. And that really spurred us off also to look, obviously, at the ecstatic ritual as well, and realising the same principles applied. Uh, if you went back before 800 BC to where the Oracle of Delphi was held at Mount Parnassus in that valley. There's a cave at the end, a cave at Lycuria, and the original Delphic rituals were ecstatic dance and trance. They weren't the sitting in the chair. That came later with the priests of Apollo. That cave had ethylene gas, fumes leak into it. So what was happening is they were trancing out on the fumes. Uh, dancing, trancing. Men would come there uh, to ask questions. There wasn't an organized priesthood as such. Uh, there was probably even some ritual sex involved. Um, later on, when the Apollonian priesthood appeared, about 800 BC, it moved down into the valley. And that's when you've got the traditional oracle on the, ch on the high seat. So we were looking at all of that, but it's the, those contemporary traditions which are important. Looking at what was happening in the Voodoo and applying it. And that's certainly true in Wicca. There is absolutely no reason. In fact, there's a precedent if you look back in Wicca for the fact there was ecstatic ritual back in right, the 50s. Yes. But mm. it was sexual. Um, mm. I don't know if you've ever heard of Fred Lamont. Yes. He's been very, very open about what went on back then. And people had their, members of the coven had their husbands or wives within the coven. There were sexual ecstatic rites. 
and now what I would say is anything like that has to be taken with an incredible amount of responsibility. So this was also part of Wicca, these ecstatic rituals. Mm -hmm. Of course there doesn't have to be the sexual component as such, because in the end it all gets down to energy. But that was also right, part yes. originally of Wicca. Mm-hmm. And that what about um, what about drugs? I mean, we talk about. I know that you're totally. I mean, you, you're very clear uh, in the book about right. this that you're totally against it. I'm not saying I'm um, totally against it. Okay, there's a certain responsibility when you write a book like this. So what? Why do you? Why, what do you say? You right. say that yes, but okay. no. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, what I'm saying is darling, I wouldn't give publishers a say uh uh-uh, uh no be careful uh uh-uh, uh you can't do that yeah right. <laughs> okay, so there are, you know, it's cultural, okay? If you're right. Native American, particularly, for example, say you're Wishol Indian uh, in Mexico, they take peyote, okay? Right, uh, right, yes. We had a friend used to go down there, and it was interesting. He said that peyote, they don't hallucinate on it. Whereas the people in the Native American church further north, they hallucinate on it. There's differences culturally. I was with them some years ago um, in one of the Pueblos, and there was a lovely old man called Tell It Good Morning. And that was his European name of his Indian name. And his wife was a lovely little old lady who liked sewing dresses and knitting and crocheting. And she told me why he got the name Tell It Good Morning. She said, because we do the peyote ritual here, she said, and when we do the peyote ritual, he takes the peyote and everybody gets violently sick to cleanse themselves, to purge themselves. He gets up in the morning. She said, he's over 90 now. He gets up and he goes, oh, good morning. What a lovely day. And they're all going, <laughs> tell it, shut it. <laughs> right. True story. Right. The point of the book was that to create a safe system. And yes. there are too many risky variables with entheogens. With drugs. Okay. Yes. We'll use the term entheogens. There is a difference. Uh, An effect, uh, for example, psilocybin mushrooms taken as a sacrament will affect somebody very different than being used recreationally. Okay? Because of the state of of mind. Yes, of course. Yes, yes. yes. Uh, Mm -hmm. And people who are going to do this need guidance. Now, there are people who are exponents that I know. For example, Julian Vane, if you've heard of him. Mm -hmm. Um, He's craft and he's an exponent of the use of entheogens but he'll yes. be the first mm-hmm. to tell you that you need guidance with it of it's course, not something yes. you can just do off your back but I would also say about other trance techniques that, that we've put in the book that can be just as dangerous um, I remember a friend of mine he's passed now he decided he was going to do sleep deprivation and he was going to fast and it put him in a psychiatric hospital quite simply by yeah. overdoing it he, in right. the end he right. thought he was God yeah he the funny oh, thing yeah. is is the the powers that be contrived to put him right over the edge the level of synchronicity that occurred around him at the time it was a very important lesson for me mm. He would probably have been safer taking the psilocybin, to be honest. Because once he was down, he was down. But so sometimes any technique which is overused has dangers. And we've seen it. Even some of the techniques in this book, 
for example, uh, a young lady who was trancing every day, if not every other, every other day, if not every day, and she actually became addicted because the physiological changes in her brain. Right. So yes. that's why in Wiccan drawing down the moon, it's a lovely sta- statement. Better it be when the moon is when full. The moon is full. When the moon is full. Yeah. Because you cannot basically trance yourself out even every other day there needs to be gaps and to be honest Kerrigan I don't know about you but I mean I'm seeing a lot of young people come along these days and they haven't got an iota of a clue what the hell they're bloody well doing let alone try to trance I mean they have bags of crystals going does anyone mean uh, I found a black crystal on the floor this morning does that mean anything special yes darling you just (laughs) dropped it last night (laughs) <laughs> oh, which reminds me, I've got to ask you something, Kerrigan. Um, I just sure. slipped out for a few minutes to our bedroom. Do frogs mean anything to you? Um, yes, I'm from Portugal. There is a heavy imagery and significance of witchcraft connected with the Iberian Peninsula and frogs. Oh, guess yes. why? It's a very dry summer here and I haven't seen any frogs all year. My bedroom yes. window was open and there, sitting on a rug on a box just inside the window, was a very large <coughs> frog. And I haven't seen a frog all year. I don't know if Gavin has. We have them down on the bog, but not in our garden. So anyway, I looked at it and I, had, I thought, that's got to be something to do with Kerrigan. So I hope you don't mind. I've named it Kerrigan and put it out the window. <laughs> oh, absolutely. That's lovely. I love it. <laughs> no, that's lovely. Yes. So um, any anything really, really... I'm, I'm talking about now safety keys um, and and warnings. Um, so you talked about frequency. There need to be gaps. Yes. Um, have you witnessed anything that went wrong, actually, in one of these... Um, <laughs> uh, a, a public one. And what did you do? What did you do okay, to, um, you know, to I'll help? I'll give you two instances, and one is an important one. The first one is myself and... Uh, another woman, Jenny Blaine, had to counsel a young lady uh, because uh, she'd basically been at an event and as part of a public ritual, this uh, priest who was very traditionally trained wanted to do drawing down the moon on her because she had experience with a trance. Now, she has experience of bringing the Kalia through for her, the Kalia is a personality, it's real. She's very much on the same lines as us. But he was very traditional and he believed in them very much as archetypes. And for people, by the way, who don't know who the Kalia is, which maybe some of your listeners don't, um, we call her the Bones of Ireland or the Bones of Scotland. She is the old wise woman that is the land itself. She is, uh, in some portrayals, um, she's a terrifying hag. She's a goddess of wisdom. She's a goddess of wisdom, goddess of death, etc. Um, so we had a counsellor because it all went terribly wrong because he was working on the principle that this was a psychological archetype and she was working on bringing this spiritual entity in so of course he's expecting for her to do drawing down the moon and of course the Kalia comes through and starts talking and he decides he's going to start trying to banish the Kalia which doesn't (laughs) go down very well as you can imagine I would imagine. Right. <laughs> so, in the end, the the, the deity spirit, the Kalia in her, is sort of sort of bouncing, and she had a very bad experience from it. So we had found ourselves having to counsel with her after it, afterwards with it, 
And the other incidents we, incident we had was where during one ceremony where somebody literally tried to hijack a deity as it was coming into somebody which was very very disturbing and we had to do a lot of work on the individual afterwards that Hecate was because it was Hecate Hecate was coming into uh, because somebody on the outside of the circle was trying to draw it off it's very unusual that should happen uh, all it did is it caused the deity to withdraw very quickly out the seer and the seer actually out of bodied because as the deity withdrew it pulled the astral body off of him uh, off, yes uh, so we had to be, I had to work on him and get him his aura realigned so we've had those instances um, mm -hmm. can tell you right now never had a demon had, um, <laughs> just just have to just throw so that everybody in. Never knows. Had a demon. <laughs> yes, um, <laughs> darlings. Just for you, all you nice, happy people out there in pagan land, there are no more demons under your bed, right? Unless you're Christians. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's it's a Greek word originally, and a daemon was originally daemon, yes. a helpful yes. spirit, often often of the dead. Christianity yes. sort of hijacked the term, as they would. Um, they always do. Yep. So. The only other one I've seen happen was a young lady who was already disturbed who was put in the chair and she was it, I wasn't running the ceremony at the time and supposedly Odin came through her and it was obvious it wasn't Odin and the the trance guide the priest at the time just basically told it to bog off and it left <laughs> because that's how easy <laughs> it is it when something but that's the only incident I've ever seen and I've been doing this now, now since. Have you have you witnessed anything? And you you mentioned this in the book about um, uh, psychological illnesses sometimes, um. and the portray or trying to portray. I mean, this can be ego as well. This can be a lot of things. Yeah. Have you ever witnessed this? And um, I did, but uh, <laughs> I can tell you right now. Um. But. Um, and what did you do? How can you approach that? Well, it depends exactly what you mean. Um, I need more detail on that, to be honest, what you're trying to explain. <laughs> well, um, if, if someone is uh, an egomaniac, for instance, right. and it actually, yes, and, and then they, they it's, a, it's a fake experience yes. because it's no, right. it's not, Apollo at all? No, yes. because yes, yes. Yeah, if they've not done the ego and shadow work, they're just going to bring their ego through. That's right. And there's yes. not much you can do about it. There is something nastier than that, which can occur, and we've witnessed that as well. And that is what mm. what you get is what you call uh, really uh, they develop a shadow entity. It's almost like they develop this personality for, from repression. Mm, mm. Uh, often negative emotions build up in the shadow and create like a nasty area and sometimes that can manifest and I've seen that happen we both have yes. and again yes um, very real very, very real, real almost like um, yes almost uh, for them it is real I think because no. it is constructed uh, it's almost like a double personality yes that they, you know yeah 
Yeah. And we do yeah. mention that mm. in the book. Yes, that's uh, right, yes. As well. So, the other... Well, I've got to tell you a lovely story about when you know something is right, when something's coming through a priestess, because you'll have the, the entity, the deity, the god, god or goddess coming through, will actually contradict sometimes the priestess. And it was uh, about the second election of George W. Bush, and at the time there was a lot of paranoia in the States, right, right. some coffins. And we were doing a hand fasting for a lovely couple, and their priestess wanted me to do drawing down. And for several days beforehand, she'd been talking about the fact that all the covens had to go into hiding because George W. Bush was going to get let the born again Christians come after the craft, etc. And she, she was talking about going into hiding all the time. And I did a drawing down on her, and the Morgan came through. At which point the Morgan stands up and says, right, everybody's got to stand up and fight. No running away. <laughs> totally contradicts the priestess. Priestess comes out of trance. And I realise, okay, this is genuine, because she doesn't remember anything about it either. Nobody says anything. Right. And it's several years later. And I go up to her and I say, do you know how I know you can do drawing down the moon properly? And she said, how? Because when I, last time I did that to you, you totally contradicted yourself. Or rather, the Morgan did. She contradicted, she said, really? Nobody said a thing to me. <laughs> Nobody actually said what happened to her. I think they were all a bit too afraid. Right, 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 right. So, <laughs> Contradicting her, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. If to do this work, you've got to be two things. You've got to be able to source divinity, and you've got to be grounded. Okay, you've got to do the work of understanding your ego and your shadow. And when I mean understanding your shadow, I hate that term, embracing your shadow. Embracing your shadow is what happened to Jeffrey Dahmer and Garchi and all those. Uh, homicidal maniacs out there. That's what happens when you embrace shadow. But to use that term from Jung, you've got to own it. You've got to understand what makes you tick. You've got to accept your faults. Not just your faults, but uh, I mean, also, here's an example I often give. And it's interesting, the question, when I put it out, women's reactions, I say, right, you're standing in a road, opposite you, just within arm's reach, is a small child. Um, in front of the small child is a woman and in front of her is a man with a gun. If you pause that trigger, he's going to kill the mother and the child. Now the question comes, you actually have a gun as well and you have one chance and that chance means kill him first, would you do it? 19% of women say yes, but there's another 10% who say, no, I couldn't do it, no, no, not even to save the child. And I'm going, you're lying. You're a woman. You've got a mother's instinct. They say, no, I couldn't take a life. And my attitude is, yes, you could. If that was your child, for example, yes, you bloody well would. You know, and that's about facing your shadow, knowing that we are capable, for example, of killing. Your ego spends a lot of time repressing things into your shadow, um, negative things that happened to you when you were younger. 
So it's got a vested interest, vested interest to stop those things from coming up. And unfortunately, when you do trance prophecy work, when you go into trance, those things, you break the barrier. Okay, there. So the ego wants to stop that stuff coming up. It wants to stop you going into trance because it doesn't want you to deal with what is down there. So you come across a lot of these people in Wicca with the big egos and in most cases they're damaged in some way from their past and you see it in trance prophecy people coming into it the techniques we're teaching allow that to be a slow process and we what we see is when people first start to do go into trance the ego is still there slightly and when the deity comes through maybe the first time with them it'll be 25% deity 75% then as time goes on, eventually they begin to sink more and more into trance and eventually reach the point where you've got the stage with the full possession. And like I said, with that uh, priestess I mentioned, the deity completely contradicts. Right. Okay. Yes. And the other thing yes. about yes. the deities, yeah. right, the way they talk, you know when they're coming through, particularly... But if they come through, they've got something to say. And it's not necessarily on a purely personal level for the person they're talking to. They're interested in the bigger picture than just our little foibles in our lives. Yes, they will give guidance if you ask, but what they're interested in is pushing evolution forward because divinity itself is part of that evolutionary process. And that's what this work is about, okay? It's not about being in circle and saying, look at me, I'm a great priest or priestess who can bring divinity through. It's about doing the divine work, the great work, as it used to be called. Right, um, right. Get back to Crowley here a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, ladies and gentlemen, lifting the veil, a witch's guide to trans prophecy, drawing down the moon, an ecstatic ritual. Janet Farron, Gavin Bone. Thank you so much oh, for being in you. the uh, hidden light. Um, that it's no longer hidden now <laughs> because we are enlightened by your work and your, uh, you know, your talk and your generosity. Thank you so much for being in here. Oh, thank you, Kerrigan. It was our pleasure. Thank you.